This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. On the final Monday of the year, Libby was joined by the Zoomer squad to talk about the main issues affecting Zoomers and what will be on our minds through 2022. COVID tops the list and the various governments' responses, both on the health and economic fronts. In the midst of it, there is a sense from some that older Canadians have been neglected and how many of our 2020 issues specific to long-term care have been resolved or are on the road to resolution. In 2021, Premier Doug Ford appointed a new long-term care minister, Rod Phillips, who is doing better than his predecessor, Marilee Fullerton. But is this change enough, and is the death and carnage among our elders already forgotten? That was the question posed to Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. I don't know that it's been forgotten, but obviously if you look at the headlines every day, everybody's obsessing on Omicron right now. Uh, I think Phillips is quietly doing some necessary things in the background. And there is an election in June, and I think they are going to want to put forward some uh, tangible results and outcomes that they've achieved. We'll see whether that happens. So I I don't know that it's been forgotten, but it certainly isn't in the headlines. Uh, uh, Bill, what do you think? I agree with uh, David. It's uh, disappeared uh, from the headlines, but uh, Minister Phillips has uh, has started some good activities. We're expecting uh, after the new year to start hearing even more specifics uh, from him. And uh, if we don't, we'll be disappointed because he started off uh, well setting uh, five or six uh, short-term uh, goals in terms of, of staffing, uh, having PPEs available, and uh, enforcing the regulations uh, uh, that are already there for home care. If he follows through as he started to, then uh, a good st- a good start for the year in that area. But uh, uh, unfortunate that that has to be our our focus uh, as we end the year. Daryl Brooker, uh, what's your sense of it as an issue among the general public now and going forward? We have an election in Ontario in June. Well, I don't know that it's a, a driving political issue at the moment, but I, what I would say is it's a foreshadowing of the issue agenda to come. Because as we know, the population is changing dramatically. Uh, we have more seniors in Canada than we do when we have kids now. And when you look at the year 2030, it's the year that uh, every single baby boomer in the, around the world is going to be retired. They're all going to be turning 65 at minimum. 
So uh, what we're talking about here is the emerging agenda. And what we saw as a result of COVID was just waking people up to the fact that we have so many people who are in that category of being in long-term care. And it's raising the question as to what our long-term care environment is going to be, because it is going to be one of the dominating issues over the next decade. Uh, David, you had some thoughts about the recovery, uh, if and when it comes from COVID, and uh, sort of Zoomer's place in that. Well, I think there's some big unanswered questions going forward. I maintain that COVID uh, is going to cast a shadow over everything, even the recovery, because I don't think it's going to be an issue like, uh, you know, you broke your leg, they put on the cast, they took off the cast, and it's over. I think it's going to overhang in a lot of ways. Number one is in the, um, you know, what is the state of uh, how many cases do we have? That's not going to stop overnight. What do we believe about our uh, healthcare professional experts? And I think they're going to be struggling to repair some reputational damage. What do we know about our healthcare system overall, um, of, which was not ready to deal with COVID, but which revealed other serious cracks in the system and then how do we get back to normal what is normal and what do we keep from pre-covid and what are the new habits we've learned during covid and i think all of those every single one of those is going to be a topic that we're going to be talking about next year because we have to watch closely are the zoomers the leading edge of change uh we're quick to jump back into the way things were or are we going to retain some of the the new stuff uh, that we learned, um, are we going to be cautious? What's the economy going to be like? So Zoomers are going to be the eye of the storm in a lot of ways. And I think that there will be a big overhang, psychologically at least, of COVID uh, throughout all of next year. I don't think it's going to go away. David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. And Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. The end of 2021 was also the end of a tax year when the Canadian Taxpayers Federation put out a naughty and nice list. Public officials top the naughty list with the number one spot going to former Governor General Julie Payette. Despite leaving in disgrace after little more than three years, she is entitled to an annual pension of $150,000 and as much as $206,000 in expenses every year for life and even six months after death. Franco Terrazano is federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and started the conversation by reacting to the ongoing payout to Julie Payette. Yeah, I think that's pretty crazy. I mean, at the CTF, it's our job to cover um, these uh, outrageous government perks. Uh, so we do that from coast to coast, all different levels of government. And let me tell you, the perks for a governor general may be the most unfair that I've covered during my time during uh, with the CTF, and that's really saying a lot. And we have to remember, she was the governor general for about three years, so she, and that means she was the head of state. So certainly she had time to, to fix these types of perks and make them more fair for taxpayers. I mean, the one that really sticks out to me, you mentioned the pension, about 150 k per year. She only served for more a little more than three years, but she could still collect 
$4.8 million through that pension to the age of 90. So that is absolutely eye-watering. But let's remember, too, that you mentioned it, the expense account, $206,000 every year for the rest of her life. I don't know about you, but if the CTF, if they send me packing, there is no way that I could ever imagine to send them a six-figure expense bill every single year. That that does seem kind of egregious, that expense bill. But uh, let's compare it to the private sector. And, uh, you know, a lot of private sector packages are pretty eye-popping when you're talking about uh, CEOs that are given the heave-ho. And we saw this with Rogers, like just to get them out of the door, a lot of them have contracts saying they'll get, I think an average is three years of salary uh, if they're given the boot, but but they get these, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking that the government may have, uh, you know, said, okay, uh, we really want to get rid of her, so we better pay her. <laughs> well, again, I think I think these perks should have been reined in a long time ago, even even before uh, Payette's days. Uh, but but come on, I mean, serving for three years and then still being able to expend someone for two hundred six thousand dollars every single year. Remember, that's not three years of salary. That's two hundred six thousand dollar expense account every single year for the rest of her life, including six months after her death. Now, uh, maybe maybe there's a person in the private sector who's gotten that type of sweetheart deal. I haven't heard of it. Um, certainly, I think the vast, vast, vast majority of Canadians would, uh, if they even thought about going into their boss's office to negotiate that type of package, would probably get laughed out of the room. Um, now, you did make a good point, though, right? We should be comparing things to the private sector. Well, in the private sector, defined benefit pension plans are, are, are nearly unheard of. Uh, in fact, all types of pension plans, workplace pension plans, have been on the decline. In recent years, the vast majority of Canadians working outside of government don't even get a workplace pension, let alone these type of uh, <laughs> crazy types of perks of benefits. Well, absolutely. But but again, if you compare to uh, CEOs who get paid like, you know, many, many times an average kind of a salary and the perks they get, uh, I think you begin to to see certain things. Uh, but let's move along. You're also talking about MPs who voted themselves uh, two pay raises. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Christmas time, it's known as the season for giving, and our members of Parliament sure do love giving to themselves. <laughs> they, they've taken two pay raises during the pandemic, ranging from an extra 6900 bucks to an, uh, for a backbencher, all the way up to an extra $13,800 for the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau. And, and our members of Parliament, they're getting set to gobble up their third pandemic pay raise come April 1st, 2022. Um, now, obviously, the, the people they represent in the private sector have been taking pay cuts. Many lost their jobs, unfortunately. Businesses had to close down. So we definitely should not be seeing our members of parliament uh, pocket not one, not two, uh, but potentially three pay raises during COVID-19. Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, in conversation with Libby Snymer on Monday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, how are you feeling as we begin a brand new year? We'll discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. 
Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. With the Omicron variant, we have been seeing record-setting numbers of daily COVID infections, and experts warn that these likely reflect a significant undercounting of the actual number of cases. The good news is that hospitalizations and related deaths are not rising in tandem. There is some evidence that with the new variant, the disease is less severe and the symptoms are apparently different than previous COVID variants. Omicron appears to present with a sore throat, runny nose, congestion, cough, and body aches, but not loss of smell and taste. But if you have these symptoms, how would you know you have Omicron if you don't have access to a test? Libby had this discussion on Monday with epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. The thing is is to, is to just assume if you have symptoms like that, the uh, best thing is to say, I've probably got it. And in all likelihood, it's not going to be uh, severe. That is, if you've had the full vaccination and maybe the booster as well, because most people are in that category. It doesn't mean to say that you can't get really ill from it. We have people in hospital ICU and so on, but the vast majority don't have uh, uh, serious uh, symptoms at all. The big difference is coming between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. That's what all the clinicians will tell you, is that the people showing up are uh, uh, the unvaccinated, the ones that go on to do a serious disease. We almost have to look at this in a different way, Libby. This is almost, I think, I'm sticking my neck out of here, but I think this is the final major wave of the pandemic. This virus is still in the, in the, in the seat, but it's changing from an epidemic virus into an endemic virus. Uh, I'd be, let me stop you for a minute. Is that absolutely crystal clear or is that still a possibility? Nothing in this uh, pandemic since the beginning for two years has been crystal clear. Nothing's been 100%. But all the signs are there that this is now spreading. As you can see, if you look at the, just go into the Ontario uh, dashboard, for example, you'll see the, the incidence rate. That, that's the ones that we know about. It's not even counting the ones that are mild and asymptomatic. The ones we know about are shooting up like a rocket still. And when this happens, we know that the virus is going to contact just about everybody, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the boosted and the non-boosted. It's going to reach everybody. And the, the outcome will depend on the degree of protection that you have. And, of course, some people, unfortunately, are want to be vaccinated, but they can't be, or, or they have been, and their immune system is shot or something, so we have to protect those as well. But this is a change from the from the epidemic virus, where it's, it's maybe spreading faster, and we can try and control it, to the endemic virus. Remember, we've had four coronavirus strains with us for decades, and they've been part of the, of the couple of hundred viruses that cause the common cold, four of them. And I think this one is heading in the direction that it'll become the fifth one. And at that time, well, the population will be um, generally immune to some degree. They'll either be immune to having become infected and recovered or they'll become immune to having been vaccinated a couple of times and then maybe boosted every year, just like we do with influenza. Yeah, I mean, 
One of the issues that people have, and particularly if they've got small children at home, they're saying if if you or any one person in your household has any one of these symptoms, um, you have to isolate. I mean, I look at these symptoms, and I mean, personally, it's ridiculous. I have a, I have a runny nose every day of my life, so that's discounted. But again, I mean, that seems to be asking a lot of people. Yeah, it is, and, and and we would normally, you know, a couple of months ago, we'd say, oh, better go and have a test just to be sure we know what we're doing. Now the testing is sort of partly dried up in some locations, or it's heavily delayed. It's going to be not just the next day, but it's be almost a week now before we get the results. Really? Yeah, but- wow. Well, I didn't some, know that. In some cases, it's several days now. It used yes. to be sort of the next morning, you'd know. The rapid tests, of course, would would certainly something we would like to have been seen brought in months and months ago. Uh, and as you see, they're, they're under short supply now simply because of the demand. Remember that we don't know about it being milder. Epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Ryerson University. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. If I were to give you a list of emotions, I wonder which you would put first as the way you most describe yourself as feeling. Our friends at Maru Public Opinion have conducted a survey to find out. The question Taking all things together, when you reflect on where you are at the end of this year, what are the top five emotions that you feel right now? Topping the list are feelings of frustration and anxiety, followed by positive emotions like hopefulness, gratefulness, and optimism. Joining me on Tuesday to discuss, Dr. Ann Wilson, professor in the psychology department at Wilfrid Laurier University. Well, I think that uh, it's certainly no surprise that some of the emotions that Canadians are feeling are really quite a mix, right? So frustration for many people is likely to be because the pandemic is still happening despite all of the efforts that we have made um, and potentially frustration about plans having to change and pivoting holidays and so on. Um, and of course, there's lots to be anxious about. Um, it's also really worth recognizing, though, how uh, how many positive emotions were near the top of that list. So people are taking time to reflect on what they're still grateful for, what they are um, feeling fortunate to still be able to uh, to be enjoying and having, and uh, and feeling hopeful for the future. So you know, it's it's uh, not unusual, and it's actually pretty psychologically healthy to have a diverse range of emotions. And um, one thing that many Canadians might also be feeling is a little bit of, you know, a collective sense of where we are, right? Because there are so many people feeling the same thing across the country um, that if nothing else, we may end up feeling some solidarity with our fellow citizens. You know, one in three Toronto residents who are eligible to get a booster now have a third shot, and and uh, that number continues to grow. And I know we're all feeling grateful for science and being able to be vaccinated for COVID-19. So, yeah, it's sort of on the one hand, I'm upset or I'm annoyed, and on the other hand, here I am and I'm safe and I'm healthy. That's right. And Stress is an emotion that has a number of different um, 
components to it. So a lot of the emotions that we're hearing about frustration and anxiety are related to people's experience of stress. Stress, when it um, encourages us to take, to, encourages us to mobilize and take action, can actually be a really adaptive kind of feeling. And we are in a lucky place now in the pandemic where a lot of the stressors are things we ha- we do have some control over, right? So we can make sure we're vaccinated and boosted. We can make sure to access tests and to still practice the public, the public health safety kinds of measures that we need to, especially around vulnerable people. So there is a lot more that we have control over at this stage, and that may well be that one of the reasons why we are still feeling hopeful despite the fact that we're not quite out of it yet. What about the isolation factor that came in around seventh on the list? You know, I know that has been a big deal for a lot of people who have had to work from home. And then, you know, as the case here at the Zoomerplex, um, you know, people were starting to come back to work towards the end of October. Uh, no sooner did Omicron come along and Moses had to send a lot of those people back home to keep those of us who are physically in the building safe. Um, so it's that unpredictability and that that isolation, uh, would you say that's leading to a lot of negative emotions uh, at this stage in the pandemic anyway? It certainly can. We know that social connection and uh, feeling like what we belong and feeling, uh, you know, that we're, we're with other people is really fundamental for people's mental health in general. Something else, though, that we have learned is that um, there's quite a difference between being isolated and being lonely. So we can be alone physically or distant physically from others without necessarily losing the possibility of social connection. And there's certainly some research over the last year or so of the pandemic that shows that connecting with others, even virtually or uh, in other ways that are safe, can still really serve a lot of the same mental health benefits as being physically with others. So, you know, it is something I think that we need to recognize is important and uh, to deliberately try to find ways to make those connections stay vibrant, even if we can't necessarily gather with as many people as we would like to. Dr. Ann Wilson, professor in the psychology department at Wilfrid Laurier University. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Dennis in Brampton phoned to take issue with some of the criticisms expressed by Fight Back guest Franco Terrazano of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I wonder how this gentleman thinks that we're going to be able to pay for all of the expense that government has incurred to deal with the pandemic. And on the subject of climate change, he's completely out of step with where the majority of Canadians are on carbon tax. And lastly, 
The regime of no tax increases while costs continue to go up has led to significant infrastructure uh, deficits, both provincially and federally. Uh, And that's my comment. Daryl from Toronto called when Dr. Peter Uni was our guest for the entire hour of Fight Back on Wednesday. First of all, I just want to thank Dr. Uni for all his work. Yeah. Uh, your professionalism, your demeanor, your advice has uh, been somewhat comforting through all this, so uh, it is appreciated. Thank you, and I also want to thank your show for helping to bring us all this information. It's been helpful. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Joy in Markham, who phoned about staying positive as the pandemic drags on. At age 78, I am still in the workforce, in the nursing homes, taking care of the elderly, running after the dementias and uh, Alzheimer's. And uh, it's a very stressful job. And I'd say at my age, I am very grateful that I'm able to rise up every morning and to say, thank you, God, I have a job and I am going to uh, stay active, remain active. I'm not going to go into that couch because um, that couch is going to get me. So um, I just want to say how grateful I am and uh, thank God for that. And uh, I would encourage all those who are suffering with, uh, you know, uh, loneliness and depression and all of the above, just try to stay active or listen to some good music. Stay active. That's my message for everyone. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.